Hello and welcome to a special edition of Problematic Women, one that is focused on all things Brett Kavanaugh. My name is Kelsey Harkness. I'm a senior news producer here with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, friend of The Daily Signal and staff writer over at thefederalist.com. So we have a great show for you today. A whole lot to get into. We're just going to be dissecting everything that's going down in Washington, D.C. Today, the Senate and the nation will hear from Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. And we just finished hearing from Christine Blasey Ford, the woman who claims she was sexually assaulted by Kavanaugh while the two were at a drunken party in high school. We watched all of her testimony. We even went down there and talked to some protesters, both for and against Brett Kavanaugh. Kelsey, let's talk about it. Yes, so it was an interesting way to start off our morning uh, by attending rallies both in support and against the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. You know, to kick off the show with a little fun, we wanted to give our listeners a little taste of what the protests were like for those who were against him. So when we tried to interview some of those women who had uh, the T-shirts, hashtag Believe All Women, It appeared they had no interest in talking to us, despite the fact that we were a team of three female reporters and producers. Here's what happened. What's the Daily Signal? Um, It's the Daily Signal. It's the news site site at the Heritage Foundation. Oh, it's the Heritage Foundation? Yes. Uh I I might pass. Yeah, we are concerned. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank okay, you. okay. Bree, it's pretty common in my experience. I don't know about you, but when I go to interviews, often people will ask who I'm with, who I'm affiliated with. I think it's a perfectly fair question, but it always ends up being a little bit awkward because I tell them the Daily Signal, and a lot of people don't know what the Daily Signal is. So from there, they either agree to be interviewed by me or they ask, you know, what is the Daily Signal? And I'm honest about who we are. We are the multimedia news organization at the Heritage Foundation. And often from there, people have no interest in interviewing. Um, So, you know, that did happen to us quite a lot today. I want to say I was surprised, but, you know, in, in truth, I wasn't because Despite, you know, this being a quote unquote women's issue and being a female reporter, I'm used to women on the left not being willing to defend their values, beliefs and arguments. I've noticed that this is happening more and more. Um, It's gotten more intense of the, oh, what what are you from? Like, I don't I'm not familiar with that outlet. Right. A lot of people on the far left are kind of more unfamiliar with conservative outlets um, because they don't try to read or engage in our arguments or what we have to say, what we're thinking. So a lot of times when I introduce myself as someone with the Federalists, they'll be like, oh, what is that? You know, if they're like a far leftist and I'm like, oh, a web magazine of culture, politics and religion. Sometimes they'll even be like, let me pull it up on my phone. And that, that happened, happened to us today. today yeah. They were like, let's pull it up. These women that we talked to who were Unitarian ministers, <laughs> or I'm sorry, Episcopalian ministers, um, they pulled up the website and they were like, no, not going to talk to you, um, which I think ultimately is unfortunate because I think, you know, I mean, I go on outlets that skew to the left all the time in an effort to you know, explain what conservatives really are thinking. Right. And I think so often a lot of organizations that like to call themselves mainstream 
tend to seek out conservatives that I think are not really representative of what conservatives think. They tend to pick out people who maybe aren't as articulate as I would like. (laughs) Um, And I think that that's a tactic, right? So I think like if you're articulate and intelligent, um, it's so important to be willing to talk to outlets that maybe you don't agree with ideologically speaking. But anyway, so that's a lot of what happened to us today. Although we did get to talk to some people who were willing to talk to us and we're going to play you a clip from that as well. I'm curious if you have any any sons, um, if your husband face allegations like this, would you respond the same way? Would you believe the women? I don't have a son, and I would believe if, if my husband looked me in the eyes and told me something, I'd believe him. If he told you he didn't do that, but he faced these types of allegations, you would believe your husband? I think so. I'd really have to think about that. <laughs> I've, never th- I've never really thought about that. So Ashley Kavanaugh is standing by her husband saying this didn't happen. She believes him. Um, hashtag believe all women. How come... We believe some women, but not Ashley Kavanaugh. You know, I think what happens in a marriage stays in a marriage. So, Brie, that was one of the more awkward interviews I have ever done in my life. You could hear a lot of awkward moments of silence there. It was interesting to see that she would believe her own husband, but she doesn't believe Brett Kavanaugh or Ashley Kavanaugh when she says she believes her husband. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, if you're married to someone, you know them a lot better. Like, I mean, I would hope that if and when I get married one day, I would know them a lot more than I know Brett Kavanaugh and will ever know Brett Kavanaugh. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, the idea that I think you I think women across the country should be able to empathize with Brett Kavanaugh's wife and with his children. Right. And in this position that they're in. Right. That, you know, you can have this perfect blemish-free career in public office and get like a a multitude of security clearances. And then at the final moment, at the final hour, right before you're about to be confirmed, you know, have have a vote after all of the hearings, boom, this allegation comes up with zero evidence beyond therapy notes, which when Christine Blasley Ford was asked to show those therapy notes today, she did not waive uh, medical privilege between her and her therapist and offer those notes. She's given no other proof or, and no one else has testified, you know, to the fact that uh, her statements are true. So, you know, I, I think we can all empathize with their position that they're in. Um, and I think that you caught her in a moment where she maybe hadn't thought about it that way and was like, oh, could this set a precedent that could cut against my husband later? And I think we all should be worried about that. Which is strange to see her reaction because it's so basic. I yeah, think she hadn't to even put thought yourself of it. in the other person's shoes, if this were my son or this were my husband facing these types of allegations, how would I respond? Who would I believe? Seemed like that was the first time she ever thought about that. While we were at these rallies, we also spoke to some, I would, I have to say, I might be a little biased, but some very well-spoken, intelligent, conservative women who were outside supporting Brett Kavanaugh. Let's take a listen to them. 
because I think the presumption of innocence is a bedrock principle in our society. This is a pre-constitutional principle. This goes back before the Constitution. Um, the Supreme we're look, talking about nominating somebody to sit on the Supreme Court and interpret the Constitution and uphold the rule of law. But this is even a pre-constitutional norm. It goes all the way back in Anglo-American law. It goes back, you know, to Magna Carta times. Uh, this is an incredibly important bedrock principle. The idea of having a fair hearing um, and and the idea of the presumption of innocence. And if we overturn that um, in sort of a, a, a political fit right now, I think the standard going forward is going to be incredibly dangerous for, I mean, pretty much any man in public life. If the standard is an accusation without corroborating evidence from decades ago can drum you out of public life and brand you a sexual assaulter for the rest of your life. I mean, I, I just, I think that everybody who is a po- encouraging that standard right now, if it was their father, their son, their husband who was accused of these kinds of heinous crimes, I think they would want him to have a fair hearing too. We don't like to play these gender politics necessarily. We like to say that we're the women's organization that loves men, but it has turned into that. And so we've we've responded by saying that there are hashtag women for Kavanaugh. And that's, you know, that's on our shirts. That's what we've been using on social media. And we had a chance to go on a bus tour actually in support of Judge Brett Kavanaugh um, and traveled around the United States. And we were able to meet with hundreds of women across the United States who are standing in support of Judge Brett Kavanaugh. And they were calling on their senators to please come confirm him. So Kelsey, what do you think about the Republicans' decision to have prosecutor Rachel Mitchell ask questions instead of all of the male Republican senators um to prove their own points? What do you what do you think about her performance thus far? We just finished watching her question uh forward with all of this. How do you think she's doing so far and what do you think about that decision? Bree, I thought this was the best decision that Republican lawmakers had have made throughout this entire process, not only because she is a highly qualified female attorney who is highly capable of asking the right questions and getting to the bottom of what actually happened that fateful high school night. But more importantly, if you've ever watched a hearing in Congress before, you know that it is full of just lawmakers grandstanding, trying to get a viral a clip of themselves to go viral that they can send out to their supporters to say, look what I'm doing on this particular issue. I am making such a difference when in reality, hearings often don't make a huge difference. I, I think that this should be a tactic that lawmakers use more often because it's highly effective if the point of hearings is really to get to the bottom of a of, of a thing to investigate something to get facts and to get answers i think that more qualified attorneys should be brought in and senators should be uh, waving their time in the spotlight because it is unnecessary and far too often completely useless so a couple of thoughts number one apparently Kamala harris as well as uh governor Kasich which I don't even know why he's doing this. They both bought Facebook ads like about the Ford hearings and about like their commitment to delay the hearings and and Kasich being like, yeah, I, I believe Christine Ford as a Republican. I think that we should be, you know, slowing this down, steamrolling this. So I definitely think that we are seeing a tactic from one side. And I think that's, 
you know, Senator Grassley has made a point of saying, we're not going to play this game as well. We're going to try to get to the bottom of this. I do think that the five minute increments that this is being played out in is very uh, disruptive and distracting because as soon as the prosecutor starts to get somewhere, it's like, boom, her time is up. She has to pass the torch along to, you know, a Democratic senator who asks you know, questions that aren't really questions. And that's another thing, too, is that I didn't hear and maybe I missed it during the times when I took a bathroom break or whatever. Um, I didn't hear a single question from a Democratic senator that was based in getting to the facts and was asking a factual question. It was like, oh, you're a brave hero. How hard was it for you to get here today? How difficult was it for you then? How are you holding up? All of these sorts of things. Um, and ultimately, I, I think, unfortunately, that's how this hearing is going to be decided, not based on facts, but based on feelings and how bad people feel for Ford. And Bree, what you just pointed out, I find so highly problematic because uh, it, it 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 shows not just how partisan our society has become, but also it, it shows that we are just completely detached from reality and we don't actually care about about facts anymore because whether or not you give Christine Blasey Ford the benefit of the doubt and hashtag believe all women or not, there are there are very obvious holes in her story that can and should be filled in in a hearing. And so you can support her while still wanting to get to the bottom of what happened and 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 wanting to further prove your case that you should believe her. But we didn't see any of that from Democrats. All we saw um, is exactly what you talked about with them telling her how brave she is for coming forward and telling her story. And I, I think it just um, really shows the sad state of American politics we're in, where facts don't matter. It's all about feelings. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think a lot of the speculating about her memories and what trauma can do to one's mind, I think a lot of that is useless. Um, I think if you do experience some sort of a trauma, you could have a lot of holes in your memory because, you know, the way that trauma wreaks havoc on your mind can really distort memories or, you know, make you delete big portions of an event. Uh, but I think what matters here are the facts and corroborating evidence and corroborating testimony. And so far, not a single person has come forward and said, yes, I was at that party. I know what happened. And she named all these other people that were there, including her friend, Leland Ingham Kaiser, who has said that she doesn't remember going to that party at all. And that was a key point of the questioning uh, that the prosecutor brought up as well. And I think is something that we should ultimately drill down into, right? I think we should be sorting and kind of sifting through the ether of emotions um, and pity and through her tears and ask ourselves, all right, what hard evidence is there? You're saying that this happened. What do you have to prove and give us other than these therapy notes? Which, by the way, she has not shown a single member in the Senate. Um, and when they asked her if she showed it, to a Washington Post reporter, she said that she wasn't sure if she showed it to the Washington Post reporter or not. Which is so, so we don't pathetic. really know. We don't know if these therapy notes even exist, and that's the only evidence that she's even offering. Okay, uh, maybe I used the wrong word, pathetic. Um, that was a gut reaction, but it's it's so. I guess it's frustrating because we're being, you know, we are being asked to not only be understanding of the fact that Ford doesn't remember things that happen. 
30 to 40 years ago. Okay, maybe we can understand that she doesn't remember everything. But what we learned in this hearing is that Ford can't remember things that happened three weeks ago. She can't remember whether or not she showed the Washington Post reporter her actual therapist's notes. That's, That's a very major thing. You know how major it is? It's major enough for the Washington Post to disclose the disclose the fact that they did see portions of the therapist notes um, that that Ford did allow her to see this reporter to see um, sections of those therapist notes. So either there are lawyers who are orchestrating this whole thing without including Ford in any part of the process, which I think would show it's extremely politically sure. motivated, or in all honesty, like Ford has some memory problems. If you can't remember something as big as showing your physical therapist health notes to a reporter, I I really would question your memory. Yeah. And also she made inconsistent statements. Um, She said that she met with Congresswoman Eshoo staff on July 18th and with her personally, a Congresswoman on July 20th. But in her written testimony, she said that she met with her staff on July 11th and then with her personally on July 13th. I mean, that's just a really simple discrepancy that's taking place. And maybe your theory about her attorney is just kind of, you know, hijacking this whole situation and doing everything for her, which, by the way, we found out that they paid for her polygraph examination, which also raises just some questions about the money that's been going into this as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's like, why are you having a hard time remembering these really basic things that happened like pretty recently? And I think I think us giving her the benefit of the doubt that maybe it wasn't you who are doing these very specific things. Maybe it's your attorneys working behind behind the scenes who are doing it all. I think that's us giving her the benefit of the doubt that maybe that's why you don't remember it. Um, But again, I think that would just show that this is politically motivated. One last major red flag that I wanted to raise that came up in the hearing was Ford's refusal to fly. So, Brie, supposedly um, Ford couldn't get to Washington, D.C. on Monday, according to her attorneys, because she has some sort of fear of flying, because I I believe it had something to do with her saying she's claustrophobic um, because because of the incident. And um, and so that is why we had to schedule the hearing for Thursday instead of Monday. Well, come to find out today, under oath, Ford flies all over the country and the world. She she Costa seems Rica, to actually really enjoy Fiji, yeah, Fiji Hawaii. Uh, she was just in Maryland not long ago. She she it seems like she flies quite regularly. And um, you know, just like I think. People are raising the question about whether or not Brett Kavanaugh has been truthful in all this. Um, You know, there's sort of two questions on the line for Brett Kavanaugh. Did he or didn't he do this? And then the second layer is, did he or didn't he lie about doing this? And so when we're talking about Brett Kavanaugh's honesty, I think we also need to talk about her honesty when it comes to these kind of silly details about her being, you know, somehow scared to fly. Yeah, you're exactly right. And as someone who is terrified to fly, like legitimately terrified, <laughs> I freak out whenever I have to fly. I have to like drink a lot of wine or take some Benadryl or some cough <laughs> medicine to calm down so I can get on a plane. But I mean, like I do it, you know, like you get on the plane, you fly there. Clearly she was able to do it when she was pressed on this. She was like, oh, yeah, but that's 
flying for vacation. It's not stressful. Um, as someone with a like very intense fear of flying, it's scary no matter what the reason is that you have to fly. It's always terrible. Every little bump of turbulence is awful, whether you're going on vacation or whether you're flying somewhere for work or, I don't know, to block and delay a Supreme Court nomination that's <laughs> in place no matter what. You know, it's always scary. So that's something that is also a little suspect as well. Well, Brie, let's move on to another angle of all this. And that is the latest line of defense from Democrats. So they have been accusing Republicans of treating this like a like a trial in, you know, Republicans are calling for due process. They're 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 calling for um, a presumption of innocence before guilt. And their response to that, their latest response, which you can tell has been, um, you know, just blasted out this week, is that this is not this is not a court, but a job interview. Brett Kavanaugh's up for a job interview, and it is his privilege, not his right, to serve on the United States Supreme Court. What's your response to this? So I've been thinking about this a little bit. Um, and ultimately, no, it's not a job interview. Ultimately, what this is, this is a Supreme Court nomination hearing that we're dealing with. The entire nation is watching. It's being televised. And the fate of his entire life is at stake here, right? It's not just a job interview. And if he doesn't get it, oh, oh well, no. If he isn't able to prove his own innocence, I mean, do you really think that he'll be able to return to his job as a federal judge unscathed and he'll be able to continue coaching girls basketball teams and, you know, living a normal life? No, his entire life, his entire reputation in the eyes of the nation, not just one company, not just one individual, not just one employer are what's at stake. And I think we need to treat it as such and not say dismissive things like this is just a job interview because ultimately that's not what this is. I agree. And I think that. We can I, I think that reasonable people can find a balance between the hashtag believe all women and actually treating this as if it it, it were a trial in court. Um, and I, I think that um, I think that it's I think that a lot of Republicans have done a good job in um, in communicating their willingness to hear for it out. I think most of us wanted to hear from her today, whether or not that's going to work out for Brett Kavanaugh and for Republicans as a whole is yet to be determined. But I am glad that the country has shifted to say. Ford should be heard. I think there's a line between there's a difference between Ford should be heard and Ford should be believed. She should first be heard before we need to decide on whether she is to be believed and Democrats completely jumped the gun on that and and, um, you know, is are telling everybody that we need to believe her um, no matter if she wanted to testify. Yeah. And I think that our initial reaction to a woman who comes forward with allegations of sexual assault should be to believe her instinctively. Right. Should be to take her seriously and should be to ask questions about her story. Um and I think it's also completely reasonable to ask questions. And that is the pushback that we've been getting a lot from the left, particularly with the most recent allegations um, that with Michael Avenatti's client that he's been pushing a little bit. I think it's just uh, become, pushing a little bit. Yeah, pushing a lot. Anyway, <laughs> I think 
just the notion that you're not allowed to ask questions because if you do, you hate women. And if you're a woman and asking questions, then you're betraying our sex, which is the attitude. I think that that is the problem and that is the issue. Completely agree. And, um, you know, I guess sort of to begin wrapping up this show and this special edition of Problematic Women, which is, you know, I'd say unfortunately focused on this um, whole scandal, um, is to say I hope that Ford continues to be treated with sympathy. Watching her testimony today, she was compelling. I believe that something did happen to her. I believe that she has experienced something difficult in her life. I don't think there's enough evidence yet to definitively prove that Brett Kavanaugh in any way was involved. Sadly, I don't know if that's going to be enough for Republicans to move forward and confirm him for better or for worse. Yeah, I think that I think that you're right there. And ultimately, this is why it's so important for women to always report when something like this happens to them. Right. You should always go to the police. You should always, always, always do that because there is a process to be heard. There is a process for victims of sexual assault to get justice. And that process is by going to the police and by telling authorities Um, And by collecting as much evidence and eyewitness testimony and the like as possible, the process is not to wait for 35 years and come forward and do it in this manner without any evidence and no one else being able to back up your testimony. So I, I think that there's a difference between what you should do, what you shouldn't do, what Christine Ford is doing is what you shouldn't do. And I think that it's sad, but that should be a lesson to all of us that you should always report and always seek justice the way that justice is sought and the way that justice is won. In the least, seek documentation that this incident actually occurred. And a police report is documentation. Exactly. There's other ways to go about it. A police report is ideal, but I understand every woman might not want to go to the police. I think that's ideal and that's what we should encourage women to do. You're completely right to do that. But there are other steps tell, you can take tell other people to corroborate too. your story if for some reason you decide you are ready to tell it later. Yeah. This is why Ford is in the position that she's in right now. She does not have corroborating evidence yet that this incident actually happened with Brett Kavanaugh. That wraps up our show for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. And as always, if you know a problematic woman please let us know. You can follow my work over at thefederalist.com and you can follow me on Twitter over at Brie underscore Peyton and also Instagram, which I'm trying to use more often now that I have an iPhone with portrait mode. Um, You can follow me over there at BC Peyton. Brie's been posting some awesome selfies lately, so go check them out. She is the makeup queen. (laughs) You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. I'm excited to announce that I also just joined the Independent Women's Forum as a visiting fellow. So I will um, be doing some media and writing for them. Stay tuned for that. But thank you for supporting us. Please give us a rating and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate it, and it makes a huge difference for us. 
We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. 